Hi, I'm Jasing. I'm your scripture reader for today. So, um, Exodus chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. And you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Verse 9. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and consecrate it and all its furniture, so that it may become holy. You shall also anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar, so that the altar may become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin and its stand, and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall wash them with water and put on Aaron the holy garments. And you shall anoint him and consecrate him, that he may serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put coats on them, and anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priests. And then the anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. Then the cloud covering the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. So there were about 15 questions, and as the elders thought about how best to answer those questions, rather than putting another item on our calendar, we decided that we'll make use of something that's already on our calendar. So every first Sunday of the month, 10.35 to 11.05, we have a monthly Q&A. Uh, where we just encourage anybody to come and ask any question at all. And so what we'll be doing is we'll be using that monthly Q&A over the next few months just to tackle a few questions at each time. And the reason why we want to do this is because uh, this is a conversation that we're wanting to invite everybody into. It's not just about answering the questions, but together as God's people, let's interact about our future together uh, as a church. So it's a monthly Q&A. The next one is on the 4th of September. It's in two weeks' time, 10.35 to 11.05. The other uh, issue is really if we have a town hall at like, you know, 1.30, very few of you in the first service will be able to make it. And so let's make use of that time, 10.35 to 11.05. We'll try to have it here uh, in the hall and uh, just a quick time that you can interact with the elders and with one another. Uh, the next thing is just to give an update on the pulpit calendar. Uh, for the first time ever, we're actually finishing a series one week early, uh, you know, Aaron and Joseph, they just did such a fantastic job with Exodus 32 to 36 that I really don't have very much more to say. Okay, so I'll be concluding the book of Exodus one week early. That leaves us actually two weeks before we enter into Romans 1 to 8. Are you guys excited about Romans? I'm, <laughs> I'm actually terrified, but it's great that Aaron is uh, so excited. Okay, 
we'll be entering into Romans 1 to 8 in about three weeks' time. But that leaves us with two weeks. And what I'll do is two topical sermons that I feel are essential for the life, our life together as a church at this point in time. So one of the things we want to do in our church is to move more towards uh, being able to share the gospel. And be able to share the gospel, the gospel is to be real and alive in our hearts. So I'm going to be doing a topical sermon on the person and work of Jesus Christ next week. A short half an hour thing uh, where we just get to the heart of who Jesus is, uh, what he came to do, and, and what he calls all of us to do. So that's one. And then I'll be doing a topical sermon on the subject of prayer. And God willing, that's also the Sunday that the book Persistent Prayer uh, is actually coming in from the supplier and we'll be giving everybody a copy. So this next two weeks, there'll be G- the person and work of Jesus Christ and prayer. Uh, two topical sermons before we jump back into an expository series on Romans 1 to 8. Uh, the third one is a little bit more personal. Um, you know, those of you who are at the retreat, I kind of went out on a limb and shared with you all a bit more vulnerably about where I am emotionally. And yet God is great and, you know, his, his, his mercy is for us. We still cast a very big vision. Some of you have been so sweet. Uh, you've come to me and you've asked, so Z, how are you right now? You know, are you okay? I think part of the reason is, you know, I think one person felt that uh, when I started down that path, that uh, I would probably say something like, this is our first retreat and last retreat and we're wrapping up the church. So let me just give you an update. Uh, I have to say, um, I think the retreat was amazing. I think God drew near to us. Uh, He gave us love for each other and love for Him. And I have to say, I think the Lord met me at the retreat as well. So on Friday, I was meeting with one of our church members. We were talking about the future. And he just looked at me and said, Susie, how do you feel now? And I found myself saying, you know what? I feel more excited and more encouraged about the future of our church as I've ever been. So that is just an update about my emotional health. I'm really excited. I'm weak. You know, I, I'm a failure in so many ways. But this is the gospel-centered life, friends. We take the spotlight off of us and we shine it on Jesus. We can be weak. He'll be strong. So let's go to him in a word of prayer as we seek his help to understand his word. Father, we thank you that in Christ we can be weak because you are strong. But we also thank you that in Christ you put us together And you give us great visions for the future. And we are able to do great exploits, not because we are great, because as we have seen in the book of Exodus, you are great. So once again, draw near to us in the preaching of your word, that we may see once again your greatness, but also your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, as I mentioned, this is our last sermon in the book of Exodus. And we'll see in this last sermon that God accomplishes everything that he set out to do for his people. We saw in the book of Exodus that he freed them from slavery. He gave them his law. He constituted them and his people. And then he gives them instructions to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle, the tent, is a place that he can dwell with his people. And from the tabernacle, we see the intention that God had all along. It wasn't just to rescue a people, to constitute them as his people, The intention of God was always to dwell with his people in intimate relationship. We saw in Exodus 25 verse 8 that God says to to Moses, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. What is God's intention for the people of Israel? That he may dwell with them and be with them. What is God's intention for you and I? Not just to free us from sin, not just to make us his people, but to dwell with us, to be with us in intimate relationship. What he intended, friends, in Exodus 25, verse 8, we see in Exodus 40, 34, accomplished. Look at Exodus 40, verse 34, at the end of the book of Exodus. It says, The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord 
filled the tabernacle. Now, friends, the cloud is a manifestation of the presence of God. Look at verse 38. It says that the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire, which is another manifestation of the presence of God, was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. You see how good and gracious God is? God is now tabernacled or tenting or present right in the midst of his people. It is not easy for a holy God to dwell with sinful people, but God has done everything to make sure that now his holy presence can be right there with his people. His glory filled the tabernacle. But friends, what we will see in Exodus 36 to 40 is that for God to dwell with us, for God to be present with his holy people, God himself must intervene in the life of his people. And he must intervene in a very active way. Friends, if God is to be active in your life, if God is to be present in your life, he has to intervene in your life. You cannot do it for yourself. So some of you may actually be wondering to yourself, does God really love me? Is he really here for me? Is God real? And friends, as we look through Exodus 36 to 40, and we see all that God does in intervening in the life of his people, in intervening in our lives to make sure that he can truly be with the people of God, with us, you will indeed see that God is with you, that God is for you, and he really does love you. So friends, from Exodus 36 to 40, let's look at this passage under three headings. Forgiveness, faithfulness, and future hope. Forgiveness, faithfulness, and future hope. My friends, if you've been following along with us in the book of Exodus, you saw in Exodus 25 to 31 a few weeks ago that God gives instructions for the construction of the tabernacle. So now when you get to verses, uh, Exodus 35 to 40 and you read it, you kind of wonder why there's so much repetition between Exodus 25 to 31 and Exodus 35 to 40. Well, friends, the explanation is Exodus 30, 25 to 31 was the instructions. God is giving Moses the instructions for how to build the tabernacle. But right here in Exodus 35 to 40 is the actual construction of the tabernacle. So 25 to 31 is instruction. 35 to 40 is construction. 25 to 31 is intention, 35 to 40 is actualization. Not just God's plan, but the accomplishment of God's plan. Not just go and build the tabernacle, but the actual building of the tabernacle, 25 and 31 and 35 to 40 fit together in that way. One is instruction, the other is construction. But friends, we must never forget that between instruction and construction, intention and actualization, we have Exodus 32 to 34, which is the Great Rebellion. And Elder Aaron preached so well for us in bringing out the rebellion of God's people. Imagine this, friends. While Moses was receiving instructions for building the tabernacle on Mount Sinai, the people who should be waiting for that instruction to build that tabernacle, instead of waiting for that instruction, they decided to build their own tabernacle, their own way of worship. Exodus 32 says they melted down their gold, and they built a golden calf. And they said, let us now have a feast to the Lord. They were building what one scholar calls an alternative cultic system, an alternative form of worship. They were saying to God, we're not going to worship you the way you want. We're going to worship you the way we want. Did you ever wonder why they constructed a golden calf? 
Well, because a calf or a golden bull is a sign of power, a sign of strength. They wanted a God who was strong. But friends, the point is this. No idol can ever fully capture everything of who God is. So yes, he is powerful and strong, but he is also holy and pure and gracious and loving. And those aspects of who God is cannot be captured in the worship of the golden calf. So you see what's happening there? Instead of waiting for the instruction and constructing what God wanted, they said, we will construct our own tabernacle, our own way of worship, our own way of entering into the presence of God. And friends, the problem with that is it's both unsafe and insincere. Unsafe and insincere. Unsafe because God is holy and we are sinful. And sinful humanity will never be able to figure out how to enter the presence of God in a safe way. God, the Holy One, must come near and say, follow my way. We cannot devise our own ways of coming to God because He is holy. He is like the blazing hot sun in His holiness. So when we construct our own methods of worship, rather than coming to the Word of God and seeing what God desires of us, it is not safe, friends. But secondly, friends, it's insincere. In Exodus 32, verse 5, they say, this is a feast to the Lord. It's a feast to Yahweh. But God says in Exodus 32, verse 8, they have made for themselves a golden calf. It's not a feast to Yahweh, friends. It's a feast to themselves. Now, friends, imagine, um, you know, husband and wife, and, you know, it's one of those milestone birthdays in the life of uh, the wife, maybe a 40th, 50th birthday or something like that. And the husband says, you know, darling, I love you, and I want to make your birthday special. What would you like us to do on your birthday? And the wife says to the husband, you know, I love you too, but it's been such a long and tiring year, and I don't want anything flashy. You know what? I just want you to order food from my favorite Zeta stall. I want to eat in. I want to spend a quiet time with you and with our children. That's all I want. That's all I want. It's been a long year, and that's all I want. So the husband hears that, and he goes, I can do that. That's easy. But then he starts thinking to himself, if I did that, what will our friends say? I mean, it's her 50th birthday, and all I'm doing is ordering Zeta for her. I mean, they would, they would not think I'm, I'm a very good husband. So instead of doing what the wife wants, a nice, quiet dinner, cozy, so we can talk and interact because it's been a long, tiring year, he decides to throw her a lavish party. He invites all of their friends. They come dressed to kill. He gets the best food ever. It's such a, a raucous occasion. Now, everybody thinks he's the best husband ever. But at the end of the night, his wife is completely exhausted, and she did not have a good time. Everyone thinks he's a great husband for doing this for her. But she says gently to him, Darling, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I wanted. I'm exhausted. Friends, that is exactly what's happening here. When God says to his people, I am holy, you are sinful, and yet I'm making a way for us to dwell together in intimate relationship. And the people say to God, 
I'm not going to follow your way. I'm going to worship you the way I want. It's both unsafe and insincere. It's not what God wanted. And so it may look flashy on the surface. I can tell you the worship of the golden calf was raucous. It was fantastic. But it wasn't what God wanted. And as a result of that, we saw in Exodus 32, 28, that 3,000 of the men of the people fell. Now, we are shocked by this, but Aaron so helpfully explained to us. If you think about it, there were more than 600,000 of them, and they were given opportunities to repent. So these 3,000 were basically the most hardened and unrepentant of the people. In spite of all the uh, opportunities given by God for them to repent, they refused and they fell. And this tells us that sin has severe consequences on the people of God. And yet, we must not miss that in Exodus 32 to 34, between instruction and construction, we see the amazing grace and forgiveness of God shining through. Every single one of them was involved and participated in the making and the worshiping of the golden calf. 3,000 of them fell because they were unrepentant, but the majority of them were forgiven and restored. How? Well, Exodus 33, Moses intercedes for them. Exodus 34, God forgives them and he renews his covenant with them. Why? Well, because Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7 says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, and sin, this is the character of God, to be slow to anger, to be merciful, to be gracious, to be steadfast in his love. All the characteristics that cannot be brought out in the worship of a golden calf. God forgives. God restores them even though they have sinned in such a grave way. And in Exodus 35, we saw last week as Elder Joseph was preaching, they were back on track, building the tabernacle of God. But don't you see, friends, if God did not intervene actively in their lives with his mercy, with his grace, and with his forgiveness, if he did not pull them back from their disastrous sin, the tabernacle would not have been built and God would not have been able to dwell with his people. And friends, it's the same for you and me. Apart from the mercy, grace, and forgiveness of God, apart from God's active intervention in our lives, pulling us back from the brink of disastrous sin, God will not be able to dwell with us. God will not be able to be with us. And yet in the gospel, we see that that is exactly what God has done for us. We've worshipped golden calves too. It's an egregious sin but God has drawn near and given us forgiveness and grace and mercy and steadfast love in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Friends, for God to dwell with us, for a holy God to dwell with sinful man, God must intervene actively to forgive, and he does. But not only must God come and actively intervene to forgive for him to be able to dwell with us, he must also make us Faithful. And that's our second point, faithfulness. 
In Exodus 25, verse 8, God had said, Let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And in verse 9, he tells Moses that he must build the tabernacle exactly according to the pattern that he will receive. So the tabernacle isn't just some random structure. It's a model for God's heavenly dwelling. It must be constructed exactly as God wanted it. Now friends, did you notice that in the instructions of building the tabernacle, it's bookended by the Sabbath day. So in Exodus 24 verse 16, it's on the seventh day that Moses goes up to receive the instructions. And the instructions conclude in Exodus 31, 12 to 17 with instructions on keeping the Sabbath. And we saw last week, as they began the actual construction of the tabernacle, it began in Exodus 35 with instructions to keep the Sabbath. And so the construction of the tabernacle is bookended by the Sabbath day. And what that's supposed to help us see is that the tabernacle is a reflection of the six days of creation in Genesis 1. Six days God created everything, and then there was the Sabbath. Which means, friends, that the tabernacle isn't just a random structure where God dwells. It's a recreation of the Garden of Eden. It's a recreation of the environment where it's safe for the holy God to dwell with sinful humanity. And so, just as creation had to be made exactly as God the Creator intended, the tabernacle had to be made exactly as God the Redeemer intended if God is to dwell safely and in harmony with His people. The people of God had no prerogative to say, Ah, God, you want this? Ah, Maybe this is better. Ten, not very nice. I make condo for you. They're not allowed to do that. They must make the tabernacle exactly as God intended because it is a recreation of the Garden of Eden. It's a recreation of the environment where God and humanity can dwell together in safety. And he places the responsibility of the construction of this tabernacle in the hands of Moses and of the people. They must be completely faithful to God's commands in constructing this tabernacle if God is to dwell with them. They cannot cut corners. They cannot do just what they want. They must do exactly as God intended. Now, friends, if you're a reader of this narrative, at this point, you're wondering to yourself, um, are these the right people? Are these the right people to obey God completely? I mean, these are the same people in Exodus 32 that, that made the golden calf and, and worshipped the golden calf. These are the same sinners that did, did, did those things. Are these the right people to now be completely faithful to everything that God commanded to making the tabernacle? And friends, the wonder of grace is they are. They are. In Exodus 37 and 38, if you read through the list, they make the tabernacle, every single piece of the tabernacle, completely as God had commanded in Exodus 25 to 30. Come with me, friends, to Exodus 39. In Exodus 39, they were making the priestly garments. 
And as they were making the priestly garments, I want you to notice this phrase, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Same bunch of people that had made the golden calf, but now making the tabernacle, the priestly garments, exactly as the Lord commanded. That phrase is repeated in verse 1, verse 5, verse 7, verse 21, verse 26, verse 29, verse 31, and verse 32. And finally, in conclusion, Exodus 39, verse 42, it says, According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. Now jump into Exodus 40, when they're actually putting up the tabernacle. They're erecting the tabernacle. Look at verse 16. It says, This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. And once again, notice the phrase, As the Lord had commanded Moses. It's repeated in verse 19, 21, 23, 25, 27, 29, and 32. And finally, in Exodus 40, verse 33, Moses finished the work. And then and only then, verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses and the people were completely faithful to God and all of his commandments. Why, friends? You know the wonder of grace is that God doesn't just give us forgiveness. He also gives us faithfulness. He enables his people, a sinful people, to now, in his grace, become completely faithful to him. You know, as, as Joseph was preaching last week, and uh, he got to Exodus 36, verse 5, and he said the people were bringing much more than enough for the construction of the tabernacle. In fact, Moses and Aaron had to restrict them and say, hey, stop, stop, enough. You're giving too much of your materials and, and your, 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 your skills. Stop, stop. You know, I, I mean, I wish I was in that kind of situation. Okay, anyway, uh, something else. But did you ever wonder why? Why they were so eager to give? Was it because Moses was like, hey, you don't know, you're going to die, you know? No, friends. It's because of Exodus 33 and 34. They were giving much more than enough because they had received much more than enough. They deserved damnation for building the golden calf. But instead, they received atonement. They received renewal of the covenant. They received the gift of now being able to participate in the building of the tabernacle. They were giving much more than enough because they had received much more than enough. Sean Michael Lucas puts it this way. It is our past failures and the experience of God's grace and forgiveness that equips us with greater determination to say no to sin and yes to godliness. Friends, God's gift to us in the gospel, yes, it's forgiveness of sins and we rejoice in that. But it's more than that. God's gift to us in the gospel is also faithfulness to Him. It's Him. It's He who enables us and empowers us to be faithful, to be completely faithful to Him. Friends, you know, as we've been uh, 
journeying together. Uh, there are some people in our church, you know, dear, sweet people, who want to become members of our church. But one of the things that really intimidates them, they told me, is the membership vows. They're like, you know, we're just not sure that we can live up to all these membership vows. They, they seem so serious. Uh, let me just say, if, if that's you, uh, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Because what that tells me and the church is, you're not messing around. You're taking us seriously. You're taking those vows seriously. And what that really tells me is you're taking God seriously. That's the first thing I want to say to you. But the second thing I want to say to you is, join the club. You know, because none of us here actually has any confidence in ourselves to keep our membership vows. I don't have confidence in myself to keep my pastoral vows to you. But I do have confidence. Where's that confidence? I was reminded this week that Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 3, we place no confidence in the flesh. We place no confidence in human ability. And yet Paul was completely faithful to God and did great exploits for God. Our confidence, friends, is in God, the one who enables us. As last night, we're doing family worship and we're going through this book called uh, Big Beliefs. Uh, it's, it's really good. It's by David Helm and it's taking our family through the Westminster Confession of Faith. And we were in chapter 16, uh, which is on good works. And this section three just stood out for us as a family. And let me read this to you. The Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 16 on good works says this. Their ability to do good works is not at all from themselves, but entirely from the Spirit of Christ. And in order that they may be enabled to do these things, besides the graces believers have received, there must also be an actual influence of the same Spirit working in them, both to will and to do God's good pleasure. Friends, our confidence to obey God and to be completely faithful to Him is not here. It's in Christ. It's in the Holy Spirit that He gives to believers. And so, friends, whenever we encounter a command of God in the Bible and we think, wow, I should do this, yes, you should. But it's more than that. The commands of the Bible in Christ are not just you should, it's you can because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's not just you can because even you can can be oppressive, right? You can, but then hey, I don't want to. You, know, you can, it's not enough. The promise of the gospel is not just you should and you can, but you will. You will because the God who saved you is the same God who works in you and will complete the good work that he has begun in you. Friends, forgiveness is a free gift from God. Faithfulness to him is also a gift from him. Our confidence to be completely faithful to God, to obey Him completely as failures, is not in ourselves. It's in Christ. And it's in the Holy Spirit that He pours out on every person that names the name of Christ. And that gives us, friends, a future hope. Come with me to Exodus 40, verse 34 to 38. That's the end. God's glory fills the tabernacle. And the fact that his glory fills the tabernacle, friends, don't miss this. 
as a sign that as God has accepted the faithful work of his people, they have been completely faithful to him. And then it says in verses 36 to 38, Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was in the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So friends, we get to the end of Exodus. God now dwells with his people, and we think it's the end of the story. But what this tells us that it's, it's actually just the beginning of a new story. Why was God present with his people? Not just to comfort them, but to lead them. If we continue reading into the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, we'll discover a God who is with his people to guide them into the promised land. He's not just there to be with them, He's there to guide them to the promised land. And this promised land was promised to the people in Genesis 12, verse 1. When God said to Abraham, I will give you land. I will give you people. I will give you blessing. Which means that God is present with his people to lead them into all the promises that he has made for them. God is present to lead them to make sure that every single one of the promises he makes them will come to pass. And friends, God is with you. God is with you to comfort you. And God is with you to strengthen you. But more than that, friends, God is with you to make sure that every single one of the promises that he has made to you as his child will come to pass. He makes sure of it. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's with us. He has promised us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, that he will comfort us in our trials. And because he is with us, he will do that. In Matthew 6, 33 and Philippians 4, 19, God says he will supply us all our needs. And because he is with us, he will he has promised to finish the work he started in us, Philippians 1.6. And because he is with us, he will. He has promised to take us through to the city that is to come, Hebrews 13.14. The new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, 2 Peter 3.13. And because he is with us, he will, friends. So friends, this is the great future hope that each of us has. God is with us not just to take us to the promised land. He's taking us to the promised new heavens and the new earth, a place where sin is no more and everything is as it should be. So friends, as we draw to a close and prepare to take the Lord's Supper together, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I've, I've failed too badly. I've sinned too gravely. I've been wounded too deeply for God's promises to come to pass in my life. Exodus 36 to 40 says, you haven't, friends. You haven't. You see, through Moses, God led his people through failure and through their sins and through their wounds into his forgiveness and faithfulness and future hope. But you know what, friends? 
Moses, as great as he was a mediator, was a flawed man. Did you notice that in Exodus 40:35, even Moses could not enter when God's glory filled the tabernacle? Why is that, friends? Because Moses, like you and me, great as he was, was a flawed and sinful man. But we have someone who is greater than Moses, who is our mediator. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, it says Jesus was faithful, just as Moses also was faithful to all God's house. But he goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses, as great as he was, could not enter into the glory of God. But Jesus is the glory of God. Moses, though he was faithful, was also flawed. But Jesus is the only one who was completely faithful to everything God commanded of him, even to the point of giving up his life to death for the forgiveness of your sins and ours. Friends, Jesus is God with us. But more than that, Jesus is God for us. And so when we come by faith to him today, perhaps for some of you for the very first time, and for some of you, it's a renewal of your faith. When we come by faith to Christ, you will find in Christ forgiveness, faithfulness, and future hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, we have forgiveness. But more than forgiveness, we have been promised that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. He has promised us faithfulness. And many of us here find that hard to believe. But today, Father, we ask that as we draw near to you in the Lord's Supper, that you would infuse us with grace and confidence and faith to see that the strength to obey does not come from us. It comes from you. Meet us here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.